Well, good morning. You know, I just um, just a comment on the ministry that took place during the during the worship time. Um, for some, that's going to come across as a little uncomfortable, a little awkward. Um, and actually, I've been I've been praying and asking the Lord to do things in our midst that are. Uh, which this is going to sound funny, but I've been asking for the awkward, uncomfortable moments. Um, for God to do things that we don't understand, that stretch, you know, my, um, okay, this is what I think that God does. God will never do anything that goes against his word, ever. And if, if you see or experience or hear something that goes against the word of God, you, you immediately you can shut that down and be like, that is not God 100%. But he will do things that are outside of the word of God and that stretch our understanding um, of who he is. And, um, and so if you were here and, and that was a little unusual for you, um, that's, that's okay. It's okay for it to be a little bit unusual. It's okay for things to feel like, I'm not really sure what's happening right now. I'm not really sure where we're going right now. Um, honestly, it doesn't make, uh, it doesn't make us as, as the pastors and leaders, it doesn't make the, uh, the worship team sometimes feel very, very secure in what's happening when they're like, what's happening right now? This feels a little bit awkward. But that's okay because what we're doing is we're leaning into the presence of God. Because let me tell you, the most important thing that we do when we come together is meet with His presence. That is the most important thing that we do. If we sing one song and we do prophetic ministry and that's meeting with His presence, that's all that, that's all that matters. Okay? Thank you. Last week I spoke on, um, on the treasure in the field out of a parable in Matthew chapter 13. So I felt like, you know, since we talked about treasure, we're going to talk about that again today. We'll wrap up the little mini-series. thought it was appropriate to tell a couple pirate jokes since we're talking about treasure. What's the pirate's favorite letter in the alphabet? You think it's R, but it's C. He loves the C, matey. Where do pirates buy their hooks? At the second-hand store. All right, last one. What do you call a pirate who likes to skip school? Captain Hooky. <laughs> Man, I love I love bad jokes. They're so good. Wow. Okay, Matthew 13:44. This is this is the parable. Says the kingdom of heaven is like a very precious treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and hid again. Then, in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and he buys that field, securing the treasure for himself. So we talked last week about the double meaning of this of this story, this parable. And the first meaning is that Jesus is the man, and we are the treasure. Jesus left heaven came to earth and he gave everything. And the everything that Jesus had... Okay, so here's the deal. God owns all of it, right? He owns all of creation. The Bible says that it's all his. Uh, He owns the, the cattle on a thousand hills and he owns the hills as well. So there's nothing that God doesn't have. So then when God in the flesh shows up, since he already has everything, what's all that he can give? Himself. Right? He gave his very life for us. This is, this is him giving all to buy the field, the field being the world, and we are the treasure in the field. Okay? So Jesus gave his life for us. We are the treasure so that we can have relationship with him, be brought back into community and relationship with him. The other meaning that we talked about is that we represent the man in the story, and Jesus is the treasure. 
So just as Jesus gave everything for us, what he requires of us in discipleship is that we would give everything to him so that we could have everything that he is. He is worth it all and more. There, there's honestly nothing that we, we could surrender or we could sacrifice or give so that we could have more of Jesus that makes the trade equal. Whatever we lay down, whatever we surrender, pales in comparison to what he gives us. And if you don't know that the treasure is in the field, or if you don't understand the value of that treasure, then it only, it doesn't seem like, it seems foolish for someone to give everything to purchase something that looks like nothing. And from the outside, if you don't know Jesus, you don't know the treasure, you don't know the treasure is there. When, when you see people surrender it all and give their entire lives to Jesus, you're like, people are like, that is foolish. What are they doing? But when you know the treasure is there and you understand the worth of the treasure, the only rational thing to do is to, get every, to give everything away so that you could have it. Paul puts it this way in Romans chapter 12 and verse 1. He says, therefore I urge you. And so he's like, we read it, I urge you. But he's basically, he's, he's pleading. He's begging with the Romans, the people he's writing this letter to. He's like, I beg you, present your bodies, dedicating all of yourselves as a living sacrifice, which is your rational, logical intelligent act of worship. Those aren't usually terms that we group together when we talk about followers of Jesus and worship. Rational, logical, intelligent. But the essence, see, the essence of a, of a living sacrifice is laying all of yourself on the altar before God. This is giving everything to Him. And when you understand what He has given and who He is and what He has for us, Giving all of ourselves to Him is really the only logical response that we have. It is the most logical. It is the most rational and the most intelligent thing that you could ever do. Is give all of yourself to Jesus. So today what I want to talk about is I want to talk about possessing the treasure. Getting your hands on the treasure that is in the field. So in the, in the parable, in that story, the man finds a treasure in the field. He goes off to purchase the land so he can come back and claim the treasures as his own. But before Jesus gets into the story, he begins with this statement and he says, the kingdom of heaven is like. The kingdom of heaven is like. So he's, he's framing what he's about to say, the story that he's about to tell. He's, he's giving us the meaning in advance. He's giving us the purpose. The treasure is Jesus, and Jesus is our entry point into the kingdom. The kingdom of heaven is like. There's no kingdom of heaven apart from Jesus. The treasure, Jesus, encompasses all that he is and all that he has. This is the kingdom of God. So when we surrender our lives to Jesus, and we are adopted into the family of God. That's what happens when we say yes to Jesus. We ask him to come into our lives. We are adopted into the family of God. And now we are children of the Father, Father God. And as children of God, we now have an inheritance that's been given to us. Paul writes in Romans chapter 8, verses 16 and 17. 
It says, For the Holy Spirit makes God's fatherhood real to us as he whispers into our innermost being, You are God's beloved child. And since we are his true children, we qualify to share in all his treasures. For indeed we are heirs of God himself, and since we are joined to Christ, we also inherit all that He is and all that He has. We will experience being co-glorified with Him, provided we accept His sufferings as our, as our own and laying our lives down. Okay. So everything that Jesus inherits as the, the firstborn Son of God, Jesus is the firstborn, first and only born Son of God. Everything that Jesus inherits from the Father is now available to everyone that receives salvation in Him. See, we share in all the treasures that is Jesus and that is his kingdom. So this is, we, we, we have a heart, this is honestly, this is, I, I would say, bordering on the edge of impossible for us to fully grasp and for us to fully understand. But this is an absolutely stunning portion of scripture. One, that it says that we, I mean, I know me, you know you. So I guess collectively, collectively together, we know we have no right to be God's children because I know me and I know I'm not worthy of it. But through Jesus, we get adopted into his family. So one, stunning that we are now God's literal children because he adopted us. And when you're adopted, what happens? Someone says, I choose you. I choose you. So the father looked from heaven and he said, I choose you to be in my family. And all we do is we say, yes, thank you for choosing me. So now we're God's kids. And because we're God's kids, we have this treasure, this inheritance that was rightfully the firstborn son of God, Jesus. This is his inheritance. But now because we're kids, we're God's kids, we get to be co-heirs with Christ. And everything that Jesus has, we now have access to. It's ours. Everything that is in the realm of the kingdom is now ours. Like nothing excluded. Everything that Jesus has is ours. That's my mind just, just exploding. So this treasured inheritance, let me just share a little bit about, about what this is. It's relational access to the Father, to God. It's the Father's love. It's authority. It's favor, blessing, strength. It's wisdom. It's wholeness in our spirit. Nothing missing, nothing broken. It's renewing our minds so that we, we think like God. We think God's thoughts. It's the renewing of the mind. It's the baptism in the Holy Ghost. It's the gifts of the Spirit. It's speaking in other tongues. It's supernatural health and healing in our bodies. Not just our spirits, not just our minds, but our physical bodies. It's all of heaven's provision. All of heaven's resources for us. It's the power of God in us that transforms us to make us look like, act like, think like He does. Not like us, because we know us, we are broken, sinful people. We don't have good thoughts. We don't have good motives. But when we invite God into our lives, Jesus begins to transform us so that we get to look like Him. 
we begin to look like our father, right? My, my kids act like me, not all like me. They also act like Renee, thank the Lord. They look like me. They say things they, that, that they, they sound like me. So your kids begin to look like, sound like, think like you. This is what his power in us does. But it's not only that, that transfer, transformative power in us to make us look like our father, act like our father, but it's his power through us that works miracles through us. Well, the Bible says that we will lay hands on the sick and they will get well. This is all the promises of Scripture and so much more. This is the indescribable treasure. So I've been thinking about this over the past few weeks, and really this was the beginning of the message that, I, that I've been speaking last week and this week is, is, is the treasure. Bryn, do you want to come and give me a hand? Bryn? Yeah. So this here, this represents the treasure, the inheritance. And Bryn, I want you to go ahead and take this. This is yours. So go ahead and take one. Take one. This is your inheritance. Yeah, yeah. Oh, just wait, though. Wait. Make sure, you, make sure you, you're sure the one that you want. Not that one, though. No, no, no. no. Not, that, not that one. Not, don't take that. that one's for someone else. I want this one. That one? Why that one? Because that, because that. What's that one? Oh. Like you gotta wait. You have, to, you have to wait for that one though. Pick, pick a different, <laughs> pick, pick a different one. Just pick. <laughs> that was perfect. Thank you, Brent. So what? What this? What? What I'm? What I was illustrating? Give it up for Brent. Thank you. See, an inheritance is already yours. So she was coming to get what was already hers, but then. I said, no, 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 wait, wait, just, just wait, just wait a minute, just wait. And she stopped. And then she went, well, she wanted, she wanted this one. And I was like, no, 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 take that one. That one's for someone else. That one, that one's not, that one's not for you. Just take, 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 take a different one. And I kept kind of coming in between her and, and her inheritance. See, the inheritance is, is already hers. She didn't have to wait for it. She didn't even have to ask for it. It's already hers. But she was experiencing opposition, someone standing in her way, preventing her, trying to prevent her from taking what was hers, rightfully hers, that God said, this is yours. And then so suddenly she just reached and she grabbed what was already hers. I've been wondering, if this is already ours, not one day will be ours, not when we breathe this last breath here, can I just tell you that when we die and we go to heaven, you don't need any of this stuff anymore. Like this is the inheritance for now. It's not for, it's not for later. So I've been, I've been wondering then why do we not possess it? Why do we not take what God has already said is ours? Why are we not seeing it consistently? Like, because sometimes I'll see, I'll see provision here and there, sometimes, right? Or, or sometimes I, I will see healing now and again, but not, but not always, but not, not consistently, not every, not every time. Why? Why aren't we seeing that? See, because we read in Romans chapter 8 that we already read, this is our inheritance. God the Father said, this is your son. This is yours, daughter. It's rightfully yours. So what we know is this, this is not a God issue because he said it's yours. 
This is an us issue. When I don't take hold of and I don't possess the inheritance, the treasure, then it's an us issue. It's a my issue. It's not his issue. We're not activating. We're not taking hold of what is rightfully ours. So I started questioning, why, God, why do we settle for a life that is less than what is promised? Less than what is given, less than what is available. And here's some of the, I mean, there's, there's probably infinite reasons why, but I feel like these are some of the more common reasons that we'll, we have. We think that delay is God saying no. So we ask for something. God, I need provision to... Any, any provision to do something that I feel like you've called me to and there's delay and you didn't get it right away and you didn't get it yes, like the next day. You waited a month, you waited six months and you're like, oh, okay, I guess that's no. And so then what do we do? We stop asking and we just back away from it. Can I tell you that God wouldn't give us something and then tell us that we couldn't have it? He already gave it to you. He already gave you provision. He, he already gave you... He, the peace, you know, we, we, let's, let's just, so many of us struggle with a lack of peace and we wrestle with anxiety. He said, this is yours. So why are we wrestling? Why, why do we struggle with anxiety when he said, this is peace beyond understanding in every situation? It doesn't matter what's happening around you, peace in you. But I asked for it and I didn't get it right away. So I, I, I'm just, I guess that's no. He would never give you something and then take it back. We also build belief systems on experience. Someone else's experience and my experience instead of the Bible. So someone asked, I know somebody and they asked, they asked God for healing. They didn't receive that healing and they were sick with a critical illness and they died. They asked and they didn't get, so I guess that's not for everyone. And we begin to build our belief system on their experience instead of the Bible. When my experience doesn't line up with what I read here, then my experience is wrong, not the Bible. And I know that's hard, it's a hard pill to swallow because all we really know is my experience. But there's something greater than my experience, and it's the Word of God. So it's, 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 it's my experience that I set aside. So I, I, I prayed for healing or I prayed for provision or, or whatever it is that I was asking for that's part of my inheritance. And, and that's not my experience. And so I take my experience and I set it aside and I come back to the Father and say, Father, you said this is mine. I didn't experience it or I know someone and, and they didn't experience it, but I'm setting that aside. I'm not putting my faith and my trust and my belief in that. I'm putting my faith and my trust here. But you told me by your stripes I am healed. The, and I know I keep coming back to this again and again and again because this is vital. The word is absolute truth. And we don't bend it around our lives. I bend my life around the word. And what in my life doesn't bend and resists? Then I begin to pray, God, break that in me so that I, I form completely around the word and I don't bend him around me. We also tend to give up when there's opposition. We need to never forget that we in this life, on this side of heaven, that we have a very real enemy who very really hates us. Like he does, he's not playing. 
right? He's looking to kill you because he hates you. He wants nothing to do with you. Any interaction he has with you, he wants to steal everything from you. He wants to destroy your life, your family, your legacy, your heritage, and he wants to see you dead. That's, that's his plan for your life. And he has a plan for you. But we, we sometimes forget we have this very real enemy that will prevent, do anything he can to prevent us from taking hold of our inheritance. Can I just say that I'd like, maybe like to suggest that if you're experiencing opposition when you're asking and you're seeking your inheritance, that you're on the right track. The enemy's not going to oppose you if you're going the other way. If you're flowing the same way as the devil, he's not going to oppose you. But when you start cutting crossways and you start going after Jesus and going after the things that he's given you, yes, the enemy is going to come against you. Yes, you're going to experience opposition. And yes, I can guarantee you you're going the right direction. Sometimes we're afraid. We have fear. I'm afraid that he won't come through when I ask. I'm afraid. So then I, I try to protect myself. I try to protect my heart from disappointment by settling for what's less than what he's told me is mine. Can't tell you how many times that I've struggled with disappointment. Been asking the Lord for something. We've been asking the Lord for a miracle for 18 years and seven months on Thursday. 18 years and seven months. Every day we've been asking for a, a healing miracle for our daughter. I can't tell you how many times I've gone to a doctor's appointment being like, man, this is it. Her life doesn't look like what they told me it looks like, that it should look like. So, man, I know he's healed her. I know she has a new heart. And then to go into the doctor's appointment and not only hear that it looks the same, but she needs surgery. Man, crushed and disappointed. But I absolutely refuse to settle and to build up walls around my heart to protect myself from disappointment because I know it's not a God problem. It's a me problem. I don't know what the problem is, but I'm never going to give up. I'm never going to stop seeking. So it doesn't matter what it is. It doesn't matter if it's healing or, or if, it's, you know, if it's peace or if it's freedom. You're, you're struggling with an addiction. or It doesn't matter what it is. You don't, you don't ever give up. You just keep holding on. Yes, okay, you were disappointed. But can I tell you that you're probably going to be disappointed in many areas of life. But when you're disappointed, it doesn't mean you throw it on God and be like, God, you disappointed me. He never disappoints you. He never fails you. There's a breakdown on my end. And no, I don't have it all figured out, but I'm never letting go. And I think the last kind of common reason is, is we don't believe that the cost is worth it. Because it's going to cost something if we want to take, if, if we want to possess, put our hands on every piece of our inheritance. It's going to cost something. There's nothing in all of Scripture that would tell us that what we surrender to the Lord, that that's greater than what He gives us. I think there are, there are two things that we need to know. And when I say we need to know, it's not here in, in our minds, but we need to know here, and I just like to call this your knower. You need to know in your knower because it goes beyond your mind, because your mind will question you, and 
you'll doubt. And, but, so I need to know this in my knower. There are two things we need to know. If we're going to overcome any reason that we might have or that might come into our minds for not laying hold of the treasure and possessing the treasure, our inheritance, we need to know, one, God is good, and two, how to pray. God is good. Right? We say this, right? God is good all the time. Okay. Truth. But it has to move beyond a catchphrase. God is good cannot be our catchphrase. It's got to be more than that. We, it has to move into something that is in, in the, the core of our beliefs about God. The, what I believe about God at the very core, the center of that is He is good. Goodness is, is actually an attribute of God, meaning it is who He is, and it is unchanging. These are some of, the, some of God's attributes. Okay, God is good. God is eternal. He's omniscient. He is omnipotent. It means he's he's all-knowing. He's all-powerful, right? That's what those two mean. He's faithful. He's just. He's unchanging. These are just a few of his attributes, the things about him that just are. So he doesn't just, because he is good, it's his, his attribute, he doesn't just do things that are good. Then he doesn't just, he doesn't in, in certain situations and circumstances, you know, he's going to be good to Stephen today because, you know, Stephen came to church, so God's good to him today. But, you know, tomorrow he's probably going to make a mistake and, you know, he's, he's, going, to, he's, he's going to struggle and so tomorrow, not good. He doesn't just do things that are good for certain people. He is good. So everything that he does is good. He cannot change that. He, honestly, it is impossible for him to do something that is not good. Impossible. Because good is who he is. And because good is who he is, good is what he does. There's this, there's this really powerful exchange between God and Moses. They're having a conversation. Actually, Moses is praying for, he's interceding with the, with the Israelite, uh, for, for the Israelite people as they're wandering the desert in Exodus chapter 33 and 34. And in the midst of this, he's praying for the people. And there's this exchange between God and Moses. God, uh, Moses cries out and he says, please show me your glory. And then God responds with this. I will make all my goodness pass before you. And I will proclaim the name of the Lord before. See, Moses says, I want to see your glory. And God says, I'm going to pass all my goodness before you. See, the sum total of who God is, is wrapped up in he is good. The sum total of all of his attributes can be summed up in his goodness. That's why when Moses said, I want to see your glory, he said, I'm going to show you my goodness. Amen. Since God is good and all he does is good, then we can expect nothing but good things from him. Even in his discipline. You step outside of what God says, this is a boundary. This is, this is where I want you to live because outside of this is hurtful. It's destruction. It's not for your own good. We, we choose to step outside of that. And he disciplines us and he corrects us even in that. And, that, and it's sometimes it's painful and we don't like that. Even in that, he's good. He's bringing you here. This is, he's like, that's not good. So the, we're going to correct your course, correct you to bring you in because this is good. James 1.17 tells us that every good and perfect gift comes to us from the Father of lights. So if you have anything good in your life, if you take stock of your life, if you see anything good, you can thank God for it because it came from Him. Amen. Every good 
a perfect gift. Not some, all of them. So he is good. We have to settle that here in our knowledge. We also need to know how to pray. So if you have your Bibles, turn to, turn to the, the book of Luke, Luke chapter 11. In Luke 11, 1 through 13, it says this in verse 1, it says, It happened that while Jesus was praying in a certain place, after he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray. Jesus is praying. His disciples are watching him pray. And when he's done praying, his disciples say, teach us to do that. This is something that, this, that we, we, we can't miss this. This is the only thing that the disciples asked Jesus to teach them in all of the Gospels. <clears throat> These guys spent pretty much day and night with Jesus for three, three and a half years. They saw him cleanse lepers, cast out demons, raise the dead, heal the sick, open blind eyes. They, 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 saw, they saw it all. They heard him preach all the incredible messages. They saw all that stuff, and they didn't say, teach me to preach like that. Teach me to, teach me to heal the sick like that. Teach me to cast out demons. No, they said, teach me, teach us to pray, because they knew that everything flows from this one thing, prayer. So they ask him, teach us how to pray, and then he gives us what we call, this is the Lord's Prayer. And then in verse 5, he goes on after teaching them the Lord's Prayer. In verse 5, it says, Then he said to them, Suppose one of you has a friend and goes to him at midnight and says, Friend, lend me three loaves of bread, for a friend of mine who is on a journey has just come to visit me, and I have nothing to serve him. And from inside he answers, Do not bother me, the door has been shut, and my children and I are in bed. I cannot, be, cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give them anything just because they are friends, because it is persistent boldness, he will get up and give him whatever he needs. Some translations say shamelessness. So I say to you, verse 9, ask and keep on asking, it will be given to you. Seek and keep on seeking, and you will find. Knock and keep on knocking, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who keeps on asking receives, and he who keeps on seeking finds, and to him who keeps on knocking, the door will be open. What well, father among you, if a son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, being evil, that is sinful by nature, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask and continue to ask Him? I want to tell you this morning that the words we pray are not as important as how we pray. There are times, in fact, when prayer has no words. Prayer has just tears. There are times when prayer has no words and it's just groaning and moaning and crying before the Lord. And there's no words because the prayer is too, too deep for words. But let me tell you, every tear, every moan, Every groan, the Father knows exactly what you're seeking yeah. for. He knows exactly what you need. He understands that prayer. <clears throat> the how of prayer, how we pray, is shameless, bold persistence. This is how Jesus prayed. See, so had a friendship. 
He's like, I know you're my friend, but I'm in bed. My kids are in bed, and I am not opening the door. But shameless, bold persistence pulled that man out of bed to give him what his friend needed. This is what Jesus is communicating in the story. Shameless, bold persistence. Because he goes on by saying, so I say to you, or more plainly, he's like, this is what I'm saying to you. Ask, seek, knock. Listen, and make, make sure we, we don't miss this. God is not the man in the bed. Okay? God is not the man in the bed. That's not the point of the story, is to teach us something about God. The point of the story is to teach us something about prayer. Okay? So God is not the man in the bed who refuses to get up. We are the ones knocking on the door, shameless persistence. Okay, so that's the point of the of the story. So ask and keep on asking. Knock and keep on knocking. Seek and keep on seeking. Do not stop. Do not grow weary. Do not give up. It doesn't matter how long it takes. Just keep knocking. The door opens. I promise you, the door opens. How how can I promise you that? Because he says, if you ask and keep on asking, I'll give it to you. If you knock and keep on knocking, the door will open. Most of us don't want to enter into the shameless prayer mode, though. We want to pray these really pretty, eloquent prayers. Or, you know, we get in the prayer room and we, I can't, I'm not praying unless I can pray a well put together prayer. God doesn't care about your well put together prayer. Prayer that doesn't move you won't move him. Let it just be shameless, messy prayer. Tripping, fumbling over your words, getting the words wrong from your heart. Yeah. You're bold, you're persistent. Let me, I want, I want to, this is a story, I've asked for permission about this from the mom because the son's not here. I've known Nathan and Abby Fritos for pretty much their whole life. I think I met Nathan when he was like four years old, three or four years old. And so I asked Shelby if I could tell the story about Nathan because Nathan's in school. Shelby and Juan teach their kids to be nice, respectable children, right? And not to just interrupt when, when you know, some, they're, they're talking. And so they would tell them, tell Nathan, okay, if I'm talking to someone, you can't just start interrupting and, and just in the middle of something. You have to say, excuse me, right? So this is what Nathan would do. I'd be standing, having a conversation with Juan. You know, we'd be standing in church, and Nathan would come up, four or five-year-old Nathan, he would go, excuse me, excuse me. Excuse me, excuse me, excuse me, excuse me, excuse me, excuse me, excuse me. And tell somebody, whether it was his dad or me, would be like, bro, what you need? What do you need? But that's, I'm telling you right now, that's what shameless, bold persistence looks like. Where you just call me, like, excuse me, excuse me, excuse me, excuse me, excuse me. Right, and I know there are people here who know Nathan his whole life, and they're laughing on the front row because they know this, this, this is what he did, and that is shameless. Bold persistence because it was his mom, it was his dad. He knew that he that he had their ear. He just needed to got to get their attention. So he's he's coming. You know, he was not stopping. So there's one word I want us to look at in verse 10. If you have a paper Bible and a pen, you need to underline this word. You need to circle it. If you're using a Bible app, you need to tap on verse 10. You need to highlight it and you need to open up and make a comment because you can do that, right? And the comment should read this in all caps because in verse 10, it says, 
everyone who keeps asking. Everyone. Not someone. Everyone. This is all inclusive. Jesus is saying if you don't quit, if you don't give up, you will receive what you're asking for. Everyone. I continue to pray with faith, believing that my good Father not only hears me, but will answer me, and I will receive everyone. Because what parent would give their child a bowl of rocks for breakfast in the morning when all they wanted was cereal? Only a parent that deserves to have their children taken away from them. They ask for a peanut butter and jam sandwich. And jelly. Sorry, that was Canadian. Peanut butter and jelly sandwich. Here's a scorpion, son. No one, no parent does that. Jesus says, if you then know that you're, you're evil, you're, you're broken, know how to give good gifts to your kids, how much more? This is a question, how much more? And the answer to the question is, much more. How much more will your father give to you? Much more. Much more. So Jesus is very specific at the end of this passage to what that much more is. How much more will your Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? Because as Bryn so rightly pointed out, if you get this, you get it all. How much more will your Heavenly Father give you the Holy Spirit to those who ask and keep on asking? So I know what I'm talking about today is it, it encompasses the entire treasure, all of the inheritance, but I felt this week so stirred by God to lean into you and almost like to lean on you that if you have not been baptized in the Holy Spirit, then this is what today is for, for you to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And listen, I'm not talking about salvation. It's not the same thing. At salvation, you say yes to Jesus, and the Bible says the Holy Spirit comes to live in you. In the baptism of the Holy Spirit, you begin to live in Him. You're immersed in Him. That's what baptism is, right? When we do baptisms in water, over here we set up on the side of the stage. Someone comes into the tank, they go in the water all the way down. We, there's no, Their nose isn't sticking up, their toes aren't sticking up. They go all the way under. They're immersed in the water. That's the picture of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It's, he lives in us when I say yes to Jesus, but I begin to live in Him Amen. when I get baptized in the Holy Ghost. That's the, this is the starting line to the supernatural life. Right here. That's the start. And it's not a one-time event. Janie, can I have you come and play the keys for me? So we are prone to give up, to stop short, to get discouraged, to believe someone else's experience instead of scripture. We doubt, we question, we get in our head, we reason with human logic, we stop praying, we settle to live for a life that is less than what the Father says is yours. So it's time to get shameless. Shameless in prayer. It's time to be persistent, it's time to be bold. 
It's time to learn how to pray like Jesus prayed. It's time for us to learn how to pray like Jesus taught his disciples to pray. So when we talk, times we talk about pre-service prayer, or we have prayer gatherings, you're like, oh, but I don't know how to play. I don't know how to pray. Great. You're in perfect company because none of us do either. We're all learning. We're learning how to pray together. How to be shameless, how to be bold, how to be persistent. I want to read something. This is a book that I have been reading. It's called Defining Moments. It's a biography book. Smith Wigglesworth, if you're not familiar with him, was this wild revivalist. He's Stories of the things that he did and the people he saw saved and the miracles that he did. His wife died. He raised her back from the dead three times in a row. So he raised her back from the dead and then she died. And on the third time, do you know what she said to him? Let me go. Let me go. She wanted to go home. Don't ever do this, but he once kicked a baby across the room. The, the mother came and the baby was deathly ill. And he took the baby and he did this. He held the baby and he went, and then, the, I missed it, but then the mother caught the baby and the baby was healed. Please don't do that. Listen, you gotta know that you know what's happening when you do that, because if not, the police are coming. So this is, this is, a, this is a, something that, that Smith said. God wants to flow through you with the measureless power of divine utterance and grace until your whole body is a flame of fire. God intends for each soul in Pentecost to be a live wire not a monument, but a movement. So take it by faith. Jump in. Step in. Stop in. And never come out. For this is a baptism to be lost in. Where you only know one thing. And that is the desire of God at all times. The baptism in the Spirit should be an ever-increasing endowment of power. An ever-increasing enlargement of grace. So let nothing stand in the way of you receiving all that God has for you. And now we pray. So I'm going to ask you to stand to make it easier for people to move around the room. And I'm inviting you to come forward and to seek God for all that he has for you. So if you've got something that you've been, you've been believing for, you've been holding on to, you've been asking for, that's your inheritance, then I believe now is the time to come in shameless prayer, to come forward and pray, say, God, I'm here again. I've asked before, forgive me for giving up and for quitting, but I'm here, I'm asking again. I'm, I'm knocking at the door. I'm asking for healing. I'm asking for peace. I'm asking for freedom because I'm tired of struggling with this, this, this sin in my life. I'm asking for it. Tired of being addicted. Maybe it's I'm tired of being a jerk to my family. But I'm, I'm asking you to transform me and you just, I'm, I'm knocking on the door. Or you've never been baptized in the Holy Spirit. And I know I did not do a great job explaining what that is. And you might be here thinking, what? I don't even know what that is. It doesn't matter if you know. Yeah. I think what's important is that he has it for you. And if God has it for you, then I want it. Because it's only good. He's only got good things. And so if you're, if you're not baptized in the Holy Spirit, 
that I'm going to ask you to come because I believe today that he's going to baptize you in the Holy Spirit. John saw Jesus walking and he, and he was talking about Jesus and he said, there is one who's coming who's greater than me. He goes, I baptize with water, but he will baptize you in the Holy Ghost and fire. And there's one translation that says this, he will baptize you in the raging fire of the Holy Ghost. So if you're not baptized in the Holy Spirit and you want more of God, I'm going to ask you to come and don't wait for someone else to move. It's not about them, it's about you. Do you want what God has for you? That's what it's about. And if you want what God has for you, then come. Begin seeking Him. I'm going to come around and I'm going to lay hands on, on you. And If you haven't been baptized in the Holy Spirit and you don't speak in other tongues, I'm going to lay hands on you. I believe that today that God is going to lose that over you, that you are going to be baptized in the Holy Ghost and He's going to give you a heavenly prayer language and it's going to change your life. Or if you've been holding out for, for healing or, or any anything, provision, I believe today in our shameless, persistent prayer, maybe it's your marriage. You've been holding on for your marriage because it's fallen apart and you don't know what to do. Today's the day of shameless prayer. We're just saying, God, I need you. I need healing in my marriage. I need healing in my mind. I want more. So tired of settling for less than what you have for me. So we're going to spend some time and we're going to seek him. We're going to lay hands He's here. I guess that's really all I know. He's here. So if you want more, then come.